Hello and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. And today we are joined by Brandon and Katie Jaramillo. And one of the reasons we asked them on is because we wanted to talk this week about having a child who is non-neurotypical. And so for most people, what they know that as is the autism spectrum. But there's other pieces of that. It's not just autism spectrum, but that's kind of been, you know, one of the things we've seen more and more prevalent in the recently is a lot of children and even adults who are being diagnosed on the autism spectrum. So a little bit of background with you two. You have two kids? Two kids, yes. Two kids. We have a four-year-old named Julian. He is our autistic son. And then we have a one-year-old named Jasmine. And so far, don't see any signs of autism with her. Do you already notice some differences, though, between? Oh, for sure, yeah. I think we didn't really notice a whole lot when Julian was younger, first-time parents, and just there was a lot of things, you know, that didn't really notice a whole lot. But now looking back, especially seeing differences with Jasmine, we can just see that there definitely were some things he was delayed on. What was the thing that for you guys stuck out as the biggest delay? The speech. Speech was was the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And where is he at with the speech now? So he can say a ton of stuff when he wants to. Most of his speech is echoing videos he watches or things that we say to him. So he can say a ton of words. It's just he doesn't like to use his words a lot. You know, I always tell parents, when you start hearing your kids parrot, Mm -hmm. we call it parroting, Mm -hmm. that's when you know, you know, that's something you have to look at. Because oftentimes a parent brought a kid in and the kid was in my office for a short time and I'm thinking, whoa. So I called, I said, y'all know your son's autistic, right? They're like, no, because they have two other kids who are autistic and it looks different. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't realize that he was autistic and very little that he had to be around me. And they're like, so there are very specific things as as a therapist I can see and I can pick up on very quickly. But I think as a parent, you're right, as a first-time parent, you're just there like, yeah, it must be normal. Right, right. It's normal for us. It's our first one. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So he's four now? Yes. Mm -hmm. And he's in speech now? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you notice him speaking anymore or... He's definitely, I would say probably in the past six months, maybe, has really started to use his words more to communicate what he means, what he wants. It's still definitely a struggle, but we have seen an improvement for sure. What has been your biggest struggle, though? Mm, He's very quick to anger. Yeah, I guess the meltdowns are, are tough. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the thing, because they don't have the ability to verbalize their meltdowns are actually their verbalization. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of the time his meltdowns are to do with he can't tell us. He can't get across what he wants and we don't know what he's saying. So he melts down. And oftentimes it's really just the fact that I'm overstimulated. Right, mm-hmm. right, for sure. You know, but how does a four-year-old say, hey, I'm overstimulated? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I throw myself on the floor and then I have a meltdown and mm-hmm. hope that everybody around the adults... Pick up on it. Yep, yep, they know what's wrong, yeah. But it's really not that simple. You know, right. I know that. What was it like for you to emotionally, though, because it's an emotional journey, and that I think people often look at the child who's on the spectrum, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of focus with that. But what we fail to do, which I really started incorporating several years back, years back is how do we incorporate the family? Because it's very difficult for family members, but particularly for parents. But what is the most difficult for each one of you? I think the speech thing really is one thing I struggle with. And I've started to come to terms with with it more and knowing that, you know, he has his own ways of communicating and he will learn to communicate in his own time. But I think I really went through a period of being worried about that. and, And not that I don't still worry about it, but it's just I'm more comfortable with it now knowing that he will get there. But that is a big struggle for me, I think. Yeah. For me, it's just not not being able to go back and forth with him, like a hyper-engaged conversation, you know? It's just, so like, we can tell him to go throw the trash or something, but he won't, he can't respond to it all the time. He could do the action, but he won't have, like, he, he, like, he won't even talk back. Like, no, no attitude or nothing like that. It's just, you know, a lot of time he's in his head and I want to know, like, what's going on in there. And I think that's kind of a neat way of putting it is I think that a lot uh, oftentimes people don't realize there is a lot that goes on with them Mm -hmm. that they just aren't able to really 
communicate in that way. Right. But what was it like for you guys? Because as parents, you know, I always tell people when, when a baby's born, parents look at them and say, and all of it's like this flash in their head, you know, when it's a son, oh my God, they're going to do this, a daughter, you know? Mm-hmm. So each one has a different, that people envision. preconceived right. notion of, of what it's going to be like. So now it's, it's, it's shifted a little. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's emotion that comes along mm-hmm. too with that shift. What was that like for you guys as well? It was a struggle. I think by the time we got his actual diagnosis, we were really had come to we terms with it. Come to terms with um, it was probably it was about a year process for him. It was when he was two. His speech therapist is the first one that suggested that he may be autistic, and we definitely. I cried when I left the speech therapy appointment. Worried about his future. You know, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I planned. It was very emotional. That was right before COVID started. So then it was a very long wait to get him in for his evaluation. So like I said, it was about a year later until we got that diagnosis. And by that point, I think I still had some emotions about it, but I had pretty much come to term and knew that he was autistic. I already knew that's what they were going to tell me. And that's just who he was. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Brandon? Because, you know, there's this father-son mm-hmm. thing. And I see it often. And when mm-hmm. I say that, I'm, I'm sincere. I see that often when I'm working with the sons and, and and sometimes dads struggle with that. Once again, I think it's that thing that one envisions in their head, you know, yeah. they got this whole thing that, oh man, I'm going to do this with them and I'm right. going to do this with them. Right. I mean, it's, we still bond over like music. And so we have that, that language that works for us between me and him is we just, you know, being able to communicate through music and being able to teach him different things through music. And like a lot of, we mentioned the parroting and stuff and, a lot of what he does, the way he communicates, is he'll like, he'll sing it because he watches or listens to the nursery rhymes and stuff like that. There was this expectation, of course, when he was born, as we were talking about. But you, I've learned to just kind of adapt and and go along with with what he's doing. Do you feel like your family's been supportive? Oh, yeah. oh very much so. Definitely. Yeah. And were you guys the type of parents who, as soon as you got the diagnosis or prior, started learning everything there was to know about autism? Yeah. I mean, I think I was... Her so, her more so. Yeah, me more so than him, for sure. And I think I was definitely, before we got the diagnosis, for sure. Because as soon as the speech therapist told me, then I'm like, oh, this has never even crossed my mind. Let me look into this. And then it was like, okay, yeah, this is sounds a lot like him. And it's so interesting because the autism spectrum that a lot of people don't understand is a spectrum, meaning it's a big umbrella term. Mm-hmm. And where somebody falls within that umbrella term is going to determine a lot of things. I tell right. people, you know, when you look at it, you have some that are autistics who are very low-functioning autism, who is very high-functioning. When we mm-hmm. look at that, we look at Dr. Temple Grandin, who is one of our highest, you know, we talk about her as high-functioning autism, and she's very... I'm autistic. I am not Asperger's. Mm-hmm. And even on the Asperger's, and you have that other thing, DSM-5, now we just call it ASD because right. you know yeah. we just keep switching stuff around <laughs> <laughs> just when I get used to it. <laughs> but it's such a different thing, and it's, it's finding where the person is in that big spectrum. Right. You know, that becomes that long time, more of a long time journey for you guys. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because even because, it, you know, you talk about the speech, but the other big thing they have is just that social emotional lag. Right. Yeah. And they get to school and teachers that are like, well, you know, he's not playing with other kids or he's not socializing. Right. You know, how many times did you hear that growing up? Mm-hmm. You probably heard it all the time because you were kind of, because you were kind of quiet. <laughs> well, yeah, I stayed that way. <laughs> <laughs> But there was even that pressure for you not being on the spectrum. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but not being on the spectrum, there was pressure for you, and you probably didn't like that pressure. No. To speak up? When you're sitting in class and the teacher calls on you, and you're like, uh. Yeah, you're, exactly. You're hiding. That's what I would do. <laughs> so, you know, but it's funny because, and the reason I say that is because we're talking about how is it different from neurotypical versus the non-neurotypical. Right. And Christy being the neurotypical, she's very shy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, is it sh- would you call it shy or anxious or fear, stage fright? I don't know. I'm just chill. <laughs> <laughs> sure, let's call it that when she was five and six. <laughs> no, but I think there's a difference because you knew to hide. Do you know what I mean? Whereas 
your son will not necessarily know right. to hide. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. something that simple. When we talk about, you knew to hide. You knew to put your head down or to make yourself small, whatever you had to do in order to not be called on. Yeah. Wasn't it math that you didn't like? Oh, especially math. <laughs> High anxiety. <laughs> Very. Yeah. So, and once again, here she is, a woman of few words. <laughs> but there's a difference between, like, with her knowing I didn't like math. I'm hiding because it creates anxiety in me. With your son, they don't, it's not the same. No, they, don't they don't have that, that same emotional thing. They right. don't attach. They often don't attach the emotion to what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. They're just experiencing it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. One of the things I love about autistics, though, this is one, they're in the moment. Oh, so much. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that's something that we need to learn. Oh, yeah. There's so much in the future. We stay in the past where they are so in the so moment. So in the moment. Mm-hmm. So try taking them out of that moment. Oh, yeah. That's the biggest struggle. It's tough. Oh, yeah. Biggest struggle. <laughs> what do you guys do to help when he's having those meltdowns? What is working for it you or just not? It depends. You know, we haven't really... If he's, if he's upset and, like, really, like, throwing his head at the floor and stuff, we'll lay down next to him and see if, like, you know, give him squeezes and stuff like that, see if that helps. Yeah. There's, like, with him, we haven't really nailed down anything that's been... Helps every time, I would say. It's kind of just been... What is helping him in the moment? He really likes crashes, so I will pick him up, throw him on the bed, and that seems to help kind of give him that input in his head and help him calm down a little bit. Um, Like he said, we do the squeezes. Heavy blankets. Yeah. And for people that are listening, one of the things they're talking about is the sensory integration piece of autism spectrum. So they feel and touch different. Right. So some... They don't want any touch. Some like the harder touch mm-hmm. because that's what calms them. Yeah. Whereas some you do that and it can escalate them. So right. it's once again, you know, being four, you guys are still kind of navigating. But believe it or not, so is he. He doesn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, it totally depends on the time or the day, the situation. Um, sometimes, you know, he does like just the real soft rubbing of his back. Sometimes he likes that real deep pressure. It just really, really depends. And, you know, it's kind of hard because I always say with parents are like detectives. Mm-hmm. Whether you have a neurotypical or non-neurotypical, you're like this detective. You're putting, you're gathering all the information, putting it together, and then trying to draw an assessment from that of, okay, what is it my child needs? Right. Because at four, no child is really verbal. No, no. Or they're verbal, but the verbal doesn't always match the emotion. Right. So yeah. you're still yeah. stuck. Right. Like, what do you want? Do you want this? No. Okay, do you want... And then, you know, you're there like, finally, okay, well, I don't know what you want. <laughs> you but there's a little bit more verbalization from the four-year-old who is neurotypical versus mm-hmm. that non-neurotypical. Because, you know, it's like... And I'll often... T- oh, you're going to love this. I don't know. My parents can get uh-huh. so frustrated with my... They're now teens. Oh. Well, what are you doing that for? I don't know. <laughs> of course you know. And they're like, no, they don't. <laughs> They just they do, no but no, they don't know. I said they're in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so time is also very different for them. Right. When I was working in uh, center schools and I had a little <laughs> and comes in all upset and all this, I'm talking to him and he did this and, and he touched me and, you know, he put his hand on my desk and I'm there thinking, oh my gosh, okay, well tell me, honey, who is it? She says the name. I'm thinking, why don't I know? It was in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> but they speak in present tense yes uh-huh. they don't speak in past tense uh-huh. so you once again as a detective as a parent you're going to be there like okay wait a minute was this in this time frame or, or was this three years ago do i need to think back <laughs> exactly because once again anything that comes up in their mind becomes in the moment right now mm-hmm. exactly you know whereas we talk in past tense and stuff like that mm-hmm. I had learned that they don't always use tenses. Right. With my clients, oh, and I always tell Christy, one of my greatest compliments is when my client looked at the parent and tells the parent, Miss Sharon speaks autism. (laughs) I love that. It really is. So Uh with each of my clients, I have to learn their vocabulary. And that's how. And so I speak several dialects of autism. You know, people don't realize that, but I can't, I can't speak the same way with all of them. Right. Right. I mean, they all have their own way of communicating and, and it's usually in the individual and it's usually through whatever they love. Right. Yeah. I know a lot about apex. 
<laughs> I know a lot about rocks. I learned a lot about Charmed, the the, show, the TV show, which I really didn't watch, but I had to learn all about that. <laughs> Egypt. I learned a lot about trees. Oh, true story. <laughs> we needed to have some tree removal. And so the first guy comes out. He was in and out in 10 minutes. Second guy comes. So we're talking. We take him to the backyard, and he starts talking. 45 minutes gone by, and he's still talking. And this is Christy Carter. She's looking on her face. And so by the time we get to the front yard, I don't know, he says something. So I kind of made a smart aleck. I said, oh, I've already diagnosed you. He goes, and I was autistic, didn't you? And I said, oh, yes, honey, I did. <laughs> he knew everything about trees. And we got a whole hour plus history. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> about how they grow, everything. Yeah. How funny. But she knew he was different. Right. Yeah, I said, this is not just a tree trimmer, not your average. No. <laughs> <laughs> but what the good thing, it's good and it's bad. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a positive and negative, I should say, because what they know, they know really well. Right. But it doesn't mean they always know how to implement it. Right. They kind of get tunnel vision. Yeah. I mm-hmm. worked with some sisters, the one, and this one, the, my club gets so mad at her sister and she goes, she's on the soccer team. She says, but... She's driving us all crazy. I said, oh, because she tells you all about the rules, but doesn't move off of her spot. Uh-huh. She goes, how do you know? I said, because I've met your sister. <laughs> <laughs> they know the rules, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean they're going to follow it because they're too busy watching other people not follow the rules. Exactly. They're the rule patrol. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, okay, you guys, it, you don't, it's, it's okay that everybody else do that. But Miss Sharon, they're not following the rules. You know, and I'll tell people you can't. They don't do change, Mm-mm. you know, so that's something that I work with parents on. The kid was playing basketball. Oh, when they do sports, I'm always there like, oh, God, just let it work. Because <laughs> sometimes it's good. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not, you know. Right. It, they, and this is the thing I always tell parents, and they really do have a desire, mm-hmm. they do, to fit in, to do those things, at least yeah. try Because in their head, it kind of maybe makes sense. I don't know. Then they go to do it, and it's like, oh, no. no. Mm-hmm. And... The kid knew his position. He was a guard. He knew what to do. Guard. Well, the forward got pulled out, so they moved him to forward. And I told the mom, please tell me they didn't do that. And I says, this turned out bad. She goes, he fell down on the court. (laughs) (laughs) And she tells the coach, no, just put him back in his guard and he'll do fine. Yeah. They learn what they learn and they can be very, very good at it. Mm -hmm. And then you have some. And once again, this is just... Uh, generalizations because they're all over that spectrum. And I've had kids from really severe autistic to really high functioning Mm -hmm. do amazing, amazing things. But it's that thing of, like I said, finding that balance within it and knowing what's going to work and what's not going to work. Right. So you guys are just in the very... whole whole trial and error. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you two do with your parenting? Is it similar? Do you... (laughs) Oh, I saw the look. <laughs> we bought heads for sure. I think we need, I think there's definitely a happy medium between us. <laughs> I tend to be really lenient and soft on him. And then he's more so not. I crack down a little bit. Cracks, yeah, he cracks down a little bit more. So we, we do kind of butt heads on that because it's, yeah. Like I said, I think there is a happy medium between us. Neither one of us are really there. I'm too soft and he can be. Too hard on him, I think. So your perception is, is Brandon's too hard and your perception is Katie is too soft? <laughs> yeah. Is that, so. We're a good balance. <laughs> well, and you know what's interesting is oftentimes people without realizing it, when they're being too soft, they're overcompensating mm-hmm. because you feel bad because your kid is struggling. So as the parent, you're there like, well, come on, baby, let me make it better. Yeah. I, I think there's some of that for sure. <laughs> it is. And I tell parents there really is a balance within that because kids in general, but mm. particularly when they're the non-neurotypical, structure is what they need. Right. That oh, consistency yeah. and structure. Mm-hmm. Because then they know they don't get as overstimulated. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes in that. Because if it's you're lenient one day, but not the next, they're like, it like dysregulates. Right. Yeah. Right. And so little can dysregulate to begin with. Mm-hmm. So when you look at them, they can get dysregulated because, you know, you're not wearing shoes and you always wear shoes. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Does he have the texture thing? 
A little bit. Kind of. More so with things he eats. More so than anything else. <laughs> oh, food. I had one who he had to wear socks always inside out. Oh my gosh. Mm. <laughs> and I had that? one that couldn't wear anything on his, any design or anything. Mm. T-shirts had to be. And then another one, he could only wear certain kinds of pants. So the yeah. mom goes out, buys all the socks. They, and you just yeah. learn whatever it is. You just go buy 10 or oh, 15 yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. His, I mean, he's more so would just love to not have clothes on. If he's at home, he doesn't, you know, he, he would like not to have clothes on. Of course, we have been working on that. He's been wearing clothes a lot more because we're trying to get him ready for preschool and everything. We're like, okay, we have to wear clothes to preschool. And oftentimes it's because they don't know, but whatever that texture is, they may not like. Exactly. So they, they want all clothes off, not understanding that all clothes do not feel the yeah. same. Right? Mm-hmm. So and we do, like he doesn't really ever wear jeans or anything like that. So we do kind of already stay away from certain things because we're like, he just won't. He won't be comfortable. Yeah, one of my kids want to only wear shorts. Mm-hmm. And the parents, it is winter. <laughs> well, have that battle if you want to, is my thing. I'm, I have a nephew that's that way, and he's not even on the spectrum. And he will not, he won't wear jeans, he only wears shorts. Yeah, and it's, you know, whatever people feel. But, you know, when they're on the spectrum, sometimes it really is that sensory integration piece yeah. of it. The the materials, just different things. Mm-hmm. You know, they just bothers them. Yeah, yeah. But there are a few things that bother me that I just, we go through the store, huh, and we'll, if we're looking at tops to buy, we'll <laughs> I'm <laughs> always feeling the textures of things. I don't know what that is, but I just, I, I want to know if it's really soft or what. <laughs> <laughs> is this going to feel good on my body? If not, I don't right. want it. Right. You know, so I think people in general have those things where they, they there are certain things they like, there are certain mm-hmm. things they don't like. But when we do it, it doesn't cause... I hope it doesn't cause a dysregulation in you. No, I don't think so. (laughs) That's other things. (laughs) But yeah, I think that those are more like preferences. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think with um, particularly people on the autism spectrum, it goes a little further. Right. How is he with sound? He's started to show like some sensitivities to loud sounds for sure. Um, We didn't really see any issues with that before, but it started to kind of show more. His ear, because he's so into music, I feel like his ear is just so in tune with everything, which is just normal in general with autism. But for him, I think it's especially, especially there. So certain things do bother him. Loud noises, he'll cover his ears. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Brandon. Is his love of music your music or all kinds of music? All kinds of music. But are you his favorite? He, he he goes through through different moods. Okay. So sometimes it's my music. Sometimes it's bluegrass. Like, yeah, like Nathaniel Rateliff or really or uh, yeah. the Dead South or he's just a fan of all music. Yeah. Oh, nice, Brandon. So you're Brandon here, but you're also Bimosa, mm-hmm. uh, which is your stage name. Yep. So you do mostly rap. But not just rap, because you not did a great rap. rendition of Tennessee Whiskey. I just want you to know. <laughs> you, know you really, really enjoyed that. <laughs> Appreciate it. When did you first notice music was his thing? I mean, very early on. Like, he, you know, once he gained control over his head and stuff, he would kind of move to the music and move to the beat. Eventually started tapping on, like, his high chair and stuff. And so he's kind of always been into music. Right. Nice. So... How, talk to me a little bit about your daughter and his relationship. Because, I mean, she's still, she's adorable. Thank you. <laughs> Their relationship is kind of up and down. I mean, he definitely loves her. We definitely know he loves her. But they fight a lot, which I think is pretty just typical at this point. Typical siblings. She insists on stealing his toys. She'll never want to get her own toys, which then that just makes him so mad. So then he's pushing her it's, down. It's and to her. Yeah, and then, you know, she gets mad and cries and then goes right back and steals his toys again, and he's mad again. So I think at this point they have a pretty typical sibling relationship. There was a day a couple weeks ago my sister stopped by to see us and joked around she was going to take Jasmine with her and was like, okay, bye. And Julian completely freaked out, ran and grabbed her leg and was like, no, no. And so I'm like, okay, he does love her. We know he loves her. This is a good sign. <laughs> it's better than mom take her. Yeah, bye. <laughs> so y'all, he also has little cousins. Yes. How, how is that with the little cousins? 
Their relationship is pretty good. He has three cousins that live here in town that he sees more than any of his other cousins. And the two boy cousins, one is the same age as him and one is a couple years older. So he is really close with them and they play a lot. A lot of their play though, I'd say, was just kind of he will play to the side on his own kind of with them, around them, but not with them, I guess. It's called parallel play. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so he, he, do, he does like to do that. Um, he, they love to run and chase each other. And he'll, I've had to kind of explain to the his older cousin that when he pushes him, when Julian goes and pushes his cousin, he's trying to get him to run from him. He's trying to chase him, but he doesn't know how to tell him. So that's something they like to do together a lot, <laughs> run around. And that's, you know, when we talk about parallel play, because oftentimes I'll tell I'll ask parents, well, does your child have friends? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what does that mean? What do they like to play? Well, they'll play this as an say, So the child's actually playing the same game, or and it takes them, and then they're, well, he sits there, or she sits there. Mm-hmm. And not understanding that they're doing parallel play, they're, they really don't want the engagement. Right. Sometimes, because they don't know what they're supposed to do next. Right. And, you know, and as he gets older, you know, when they do play gym, I'm there like... Let's just get through gym. Because, you know, guys kind of, they kind of roughhouse. And, mm-hmm. you know, so if the guy goes and throws the ball at his friend, you know, you know that they're horse playing. Not mine. The fight no. was on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. So they're like, no, honey. Well, why do you, you're not supposed to throw balls at people. That's not nice. I said, I know, but guys are like, for So I'm, te- I'm working with this one in particular on the difference between because he's one, he's the boy, and then he has two sisters, and he mm-hmm. doesn't understand why they don't engage. And so it's not just your autism, honey. I said it's also the fact that they're girls, and what you like, they don't like. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't comprehend that. You right. Know? Because they, it's such a different, to them, it's like, it's amazing. they don't discriminate. Yeah. They don't see anything like that. That's why I said there's something really amazing about yeah. autistic people is that, they don't care. That's not relevant. To no, them. it just doesn't, has no meaning to them. Absolutely. Yeah. And once again, they're in that moment. Right. You know, and as a therapist, the hardest thing that I do as a therapist with my clients is when they come to me and they will cry and say, please take this out of my head. <sighs> okay. And the reason why is because they want to be normal. Right. And so what I do is I help them to learn kind of what their little superpowers are. Yeah. I love that. that. You know, mm-hmm. I do. It's it's telling them, no, you don't understand how amazing your brain is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But nobody else's is my uncle. Oh, yes, there is. You just haven't met him yet. Yeah. yeah. You know? Gotta find him. And, but there's that anguish in them, too, as they get older sometimes mm-hmm. because they know, they learn enough that they know they're not fitting in. Right. And they don't know. And they want friends mm-hmm. because they feel lonely, but they don't feel lonely because then it's like, okay, we're going to have a sleepover. Honey, what you do with the sleepover? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, they're off doing their own thing. The one little girl, I said, well, what did you do? The mom goes, tell her what you did. She goes, I played on my game. I said, oh. I said, you and your friend played on the game? She goes, no. I said, the mom, tell her under my bed. <laughs> so she went under her bed, took her game. She was her friend was there to spend like, you know, two, three hours. Now, about 20 minutes. She was done. She was all <laughs> up in her room under her bed <laughs> playing her game. And right. she was happy. Mm-hmm. Right. They want to be like everybody else, but then it's not really who they are or what they want. They don't have the same need. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think people really try to push that and try to make it their norm when it's not. It's not, right. And then I think that's when that comes into play, you know, is after they get into school and everybody's doing their thing. And if they sit alone, they don't know there's anything wrong with that. Right. You know, they're just fine until they real, they're looking around and like you said, well, nobody eats lunch with me mm-hmm. and they get sad about it. I said, well, why are you sad about it? You didn't care last week. They no. did. But it's once again, I think there's still that piece of that, that we're social creatures to some degree. Oh, yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. And so I think it's such a, a fine line they walk and you know I tell people as adults it becomes our job whether we're the parents or the school or the therapist or just adults around them to help them navigate that yeah in in a way that it's not hurtful to them right because that's going to be your guys's thing is mm-hmm. it's a blessing and a curse because I tell parents so my mom one mom she's all upset and I say why are you upset she goes because those little kids are taking advantage of <laughs> <laughs> so she was really smart 
So the only time they liked her is when they were doing the work. And then they'd all come sit around her and talk to her and get all the answers. And then they'd leave her. So the mom's all mad and the little girls, they're like, I had friends today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so like, oh, yay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're, you're excited. Yeah. They don't know. Right. They have no idea they're being taken yeah, advantage of. Yeah, they can't of. recognize that. Mm-mm. But as parents, y'all can get mad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've already, yeah, there's already, already been instances where I'm like, okay, just because he's not, he can't say that it's not okay. I, I'm not okay with that. Like, I just, it's hard as a parent when the, the kid can't stick up for themselves, but then you also don't want to be that crazy parent out there screaming at everybody. <laughs> And I'm not not a confrontational person by nature, but when it comes to him, I'm confrontational for sure. <laughs> well, I think there is that thing. I think most parents in general defend their children when yeah. they feel like somebody is taking advantage mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. You know, that's when Mama Bear and Papa Bear come out and then it's like, okay, the fight's on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, once again, that I think those are some of the, the norms, but I think it is a different extreme or not extreme, but a different way of handling it when you're, you know, your kid doesn't have the verbalization. Exactly. But then I asked the parent, well, what are you fighting for exactly? Right. Because yeah. they're not affected in one way or the other. Uh, yeah. And that, that I think is always such a struggle too. Like, okay, am I fighting for this because it's what he wants or what he needs? Or am I, is it, am I wasting my time? Because that is a struggle, too. It's a struggle. <laughs> so how do you finally figure out what it is? I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. I haven't found a 100% way to say, do I need to keep fighting for this? I think it just kind of depends on the situation. Pick your battles yeah. one at a time. Yeah. Do you think Katie's one that fights a little more for, or gets a little more upset for him than you? or? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would say she definitely uh, fights a little more. <laughs> and she's not confrontational at all, I hear. No. I wasn't. Well, she wasn't. Didn't <laughs> used to be until I became a mom. <laughs> well, and I think that's the other thing. I, I think I tell parents, remember, it really is how do you pick and choose your battles? Yeah. Because oftentimes we are fighting it based on our construct. Mm-hmm. And their construct is so different. Right. And the other thing is, is I tell parents, you need to learn to talk in concrete. When we get past concrete age thinking, we don't speak in concrete anymore. Right. And there's a difference between speaking concrete and logically. So mm-hmm. I was telling this mom, she goes, well, I said this. I said, honey, you talk logically. That's not concretely. Mm-hmm. What? And I said, listen, that's a lot. We think logical thinking is concrete thinking. It's not. I said, they are very concrete yeah. I had this dad, he tells the kid, you know, messing with the kid. If you don't behave, I'm going to rip your arms off and beat you about the head with it. You know, just being, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other kids laughed. And one day I'm there like, honey, what, why is it that you have, what's, what is it with you and dad? Oh, no. And he told him, because he's going to beat me on my head with my own arms. And the dad goes, what? <laughs> he goes, that's a joke. He goes, you don't do that. Yeah. They take but everything seriously. So serious. It's you not know, serious. It's, it's concrete. concrete. Yeah, they take it as... As a truth. Yeah. yeah, there you go. 100% the truth of what you're saying. Right. Yeah, they don't... Mm-hmm. But I love when they try to have humor, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yo mama jokes and knock-knock jokes, I've heard a lot of <laughs> And, you know, they don't make a lot of sense, but they, they're working at it. You know, they're trying. And I tell parents or people with that are working with, you know what? Laugh at their jokes. It's a struggle for them to try to get it out and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But that concrete thinking that they have, mm-hmm. that's why having boundaries and having that structure is important for them because it's concrete. Right. Mm-hmm. They understand. You go and you, this is your routine. When you get up, you get dressed, you get, you know, this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. It's very, and they're very visual. Right. You know, so when they do ABA and stuff like that, it's, it's a lot of visual stuff. Mm-hmm. Because they can see a picture and put the picture to what you need them to do. So if it's brushing their teeth, they can they can mimic all that. Right. You know what I mean? Starting early. And then you you know, you know add in the, the faces and what the faces mean. Mm-hmm. And when I work with parents, I try to explain to them, they don't know what your facial expression means. Right. Yeah. And men tend to be more what? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your facial expressions... 
remain the same. Mm -hmm. So when I am working with autistic kids and I have parents and I'll say, how do you know mom is mad? And the kid will mimic a face. Mm -hmm. How do you know mom is happy? They'll mimic a face. How do you know dad is mad? And they kind of do that thing and they make their (laughs) face. I says, how do you know dad is happy? They make the same face. Uh (laughs) (laughs) They have no idea. So I tell parents it's important when you're doing that to, and especially dads, practice doing a different thing. Because <laughs> they don't have any clue. If you're always wearing your poker face, they're not going to know. <laughs> they might become good at poker, Very but that's it. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And that's a good way of putting it. It's, it's that poker face, but they don't understand it. Right. So they're looking and they'll look at mom. And when mom smiles, they know kind of relaxed but you know kids know that in general Mm -hmm. jasmine the same thing she's looking at you guys in your faces Mm -hmm. to see Mm -hmm. you know so she said probably as confused as your son (laughs) you know i don't know is dad mad happy (laughs) can't tell (laughs) what does this mean (laughs) but yeah so little things you can do Mm -hmm. to really help that especially when they're this young yeah you can really start with those little skill building things of this is happy and you do a happy face or mm-hmm. this is sad or we're sad today. Mm-hmm. And the other, I work with this one mom and her son's eight or nine now. I've been working with her for a while. But it causes an escalation in the parent as well. So when you're trying to get them ready for school and they're escalating and they're not putting on their shoes, they're laying mm-hmm. there and you're, they're like, oh my God, we got to go. It doesn't matter if school or anything. There's that frustration yeah. level that starts to rise in yeah. the parent. And then the child starts to act yeah. out. So now the parent is talking to the child about the behavior. Mm-hmm. Stop throwing yourself on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you doing that? You know. It. And the thing is, is as the parent escalates, the child escalates. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I told this mom, I said, stop addressing the behavior and try to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. I talked about this earlier uh, in one of our episodes, I believe. He was mad. He's throwing all of the stuff. He, he and... She goes, I am just, I'm getting more and more upset. Mm-hmm. And she says, but then remembering, and she goes, I don't think you're mad at the gloves and the hat. What is wrong? What's like, what's making you not feel good or whatever those words are today? And then he looked at her and he told her. Mm-hmm. And she was there like, oh my God, it really works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so not addressing the behavior. And I say don't address the behavior of a uh, neurotypical either because right. then you're in a battle about mm-hmm. why are you mad i'm not mad adults do that all the oh, time yeah. Don't <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah we've learned not to do that as much huh yeah we've gotten better <laughs> <laughs> in our defense 21 years later yes. you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we do we we are so much about looking at a behavior mm-hmm. or how somebody's presenting that will say something to the effect of well, why are you mad? I'm not mad. Well, you really look mad. Well, I'm starting to get mad. Because you keep asking me about it. We pres- we prescribe yeah. a feeling to something instead of asking. Right. We don't ask. It kind of looks like you're mad. Are you? No. What is it? Well, kids are the same way. Mm-hmm. We have to ask, but we won't. A kid came in my office and the, uh, they had already been having a little bit of conflict. So he comes in and he kicks my chair. <laughs> I says, well, sweetie, come here. Comes over to me. I know you're not mad at my chair. You know how I know you're not mad at my chair? You just walked in my office and I know my chair did not do one thing to you. (laughs) I'm not mad. I said, oh, so when you kicked my chair, what were you feeling? He goes, I am very sad today. So we have to ask, what are those behaviors? Mm -hmm. Why are you, instead of prescribing, because like I said, as adults, that is the one place that will set us off. Oh, well, you're mad now. Or you're this or you're that, and now the fight's on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't do that as much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason that bothers us in what people don't understand, even in kids, is, and particularly in kids, is the only thing that is truly theirs, as is ours, is what we think, what we feel, and how we respond. Mm-hmm. And when we have an adult who tells us what we're thinking, or anybody tells us what we're thinking, we feel like they're taking away the one thing that is truly ours. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, the fight's on. Right. And with the non-neurotypical, it's even harder because their de-escalation can look the same for all different settings. Mm-hmm. 
So it's sitting and thinking to yourself, okay, as a parent, okay, wait, here comes the detective hat. What were we doing right before that? Right. Did something in our ch- schedule change, even if it's a little bit? Mm-hmm. Did I cut the toast wrong? Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. Yeah. But it was something with you too, huh? Yeah. What was that about? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Mom cut the sandwich and I cried because she broke it. <laughs> but once again, this is a great example because that was age appropriate. Mm-hmm. They don't understand if you cut the sandwich that it's not broken. Mm-hmm. But what do they think if something comes apart? It's broken. Because they're what? Concrete thinkers. Right. Right. That wasn't when you were 17, was it? <laughs> I'm kidding, honey. Just kidding. She was little. <laughs> but I often hear that, and particularly with Spectrum kids, yeah. you would think that a grilled cheese is bread and cheese, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't have bread, so she made it in tortillas. Still kind of a grilled cheese, but we call it a quesadilla. You right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> when God... <laughs> it said, this is not it. Yep. I could see that. They don't, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. It is very much the same. Mm-hmm. And what they want, what they are thinking of is they need that. Like, it's it's to the point where if they think of something and they want to eat that thing, they need that. Like, it's... They have very good. That's the next piece of it. It's that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to wait yet. Yeah. Yeah, they want it then and they want, you know, not, not a quesadilla that's similar to the grilled cheese. They... Want that grilled cheese exactly. And if it's the same way, they want it the same way. Right, right. Once again, they're very concrete. So if you tell them this is the way you make a grilled cheese, guess Mm -hmm. what? And if it's on brown bread, you don't use white bread because now it's not a grilled cheese. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I promise it's a grilled cheese. Don't even have the fight. I don't don't even. (laughs) The next time you sit down with them and you say, you know what? You can have grilled cheese made two different ways. Mm -hmm. But at the moment... It doesn't matter. It's going to go in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) But once again, it's that concrete. They're very concrete. What you teach them and how you teach them is Mm -hmm. what they learn. They learn Mm -hmm. that routine. Right. They're not like other kids who can, you know, as they get older, even they kind of can navigate a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But they don't. They don't do it in the same way. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and so, I mean, it's kind of fun, though, because, I mean, it's going to keep you on your toes. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to learn a lot about yourself. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You're going to learn what it means to be patient. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, children teach you that anyway. Yeah. So I'm sure Jasmine is teaching you that oh. in some ways as well. <laughs> Sometimes more so than yeah, Julia. <laughs> she's, she's a wild one. She's crazy. Well, you know what's interesting? Because when they are neurotypical and you have a neurotypical and non-neurotypical, mm-hmm. sometimes you have the escalation of the behaviors with the autistic one. But with the other one, you have the curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. You have the, oh, look, this, I can take this right here and I can do whatever I want. Exactly. With. So it's very difficult in that they're, they almost take a little more energy in some ways. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She pushes Absolutely. our buttons for sure. She's 100 miles an hour and into everything. And you tell her not to do something and she'll do it with a smile on her face looking at you. <laughs> That's how girls are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're just preparing you for later in life. Nothing's going to (laughs) change. That's just how they are. But you're right. And it's it's so interesting because you people think that the non-neurotypical is going to be the most difficult one. Mm -hmm. But they're difficult in a different way. Right. Whereas the the curious one who climbs on everything and does all of those things. And when she has two sons, the older one is the non-neurotypical, the younger one. <laughs> I've known the littlest one for a while, you know, because he's he would come in, and so he listens. So it's interesting. So and mom does really well with using you know what are words and stuff like that. So he will do that. So one day I send him out. I said, "You got to sit out here, and you're going to play, and Miss Christie's going to be right here if you need anything." I shouldn't have said that piece. So anyway, go in and come out and says, "Well, how did he do? And what did he want you to do? Help him build a house." And what did you tell him? I think you can do it. And he said, well, I did my best. (laughs) He's full. How cute. So does that mean you helped him? No, I didn't have to. You guys came out. 
Oh, you know, she's thinking about it. Thank God I did not fill the house. Not Dodge that. that bullet. Yes. <laughs> Poor thing. She, and then my other one, I'll tell him, okay, you need to go out and wait. This was pre-COVID. You have to go out and wait. And then I'll text Miss Christine when I want you to come back in. But you just sit there and wait for her. How does that work? Oh, no. He comes up to the desk every five minutes. <laughs> Has Miss Sharon text yet? <laughs> no, not yet. No, not yet. <laughs> In, because they don't do time. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing I tell parents is you have to learn early on how to tell them. You can't tell them, come back in a few minutes. Oh, yeah. They ha- it has no meaning. They're back at you like, mm-hmm. okay, now that's not a few minutes. So I tell parents, set a timer. When the yep. timer goes off, you come back. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if not, they're up in your business all of the time. Mm-hmm. Are we there yet? oh yeah it's it's very much like that and once again your neurotypicals are going to do that too Mm -hmm. they really are but your non-neurotypicals are you're right it's that everything's in the moment Mm -hmm. so time means something so different to them right but the last time he did good huh yeah oh he's improved but you've been seeing them for quite some time and Got him yeah. through middle school, now we're in high school. <laughs> but yeah, it was. It meltdowns every single day. You have to wow. just teach them a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Another one started with her when she was in her 20s. So she was smearing poop and stuff because, once again, with that emo ages and stages. And the parents go, We need you to stop, you know, help us stop this. I said, Okay. They're like, What do you mean? Okay. I said, Okay, well, that's going to be easy enough. That, so got her stopped that. And I says, Now what are we going to do? They go, Wait, how did you get her to st-? I said, once again, you have to speak autism. She's the one who tells him she speaks autism. <laughs> and then so moved her along. And they're, they're like, well, you know, we just resigned ourselves to the fact that she's just going to live with us forever. I said, okay. I said, well, do you want her to learn skills? Anyway, fast forward, we got her into her teen years and stuff like that. And then we had the terrible teens. And now she lives in a host home and she doesn't live with them. Wow. You know, so mm-hmm. the thing that I love is that it's not an impossibility. There is so much hope in there. It just is, what is that investment? Right. And I tell parents, it can't be just the child investment, though. No. With this family, love them dearly. They came in and they really worked. The dad worked. The mom worked. How do we have a better relationship? And so grateful the dad and her were able to develop this relationship because they couldn't before. Because mm-hmm. when they're military, too, they're gone a lot. Oh, yeah. So the kid, it's hard. You know, so we deal with that as well. Yeah. So being able to develop that relationship and have that was really an amazing thing. Right. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. But once again, it's what are you doing to help build? You guys are those building blocks for him. Right. As you are for your children. But it's just you have to just build them in a different way. Yeah. Because he's not going to be able to do some of it on his own. But yeah. the more you work with him, the easier it becomes, I think. Yeah, exactly. You know, what do you think has been the greatest growth that you've seen in him since the diagnosis and you guys doing something different? I would say his communication is what I've noticed the biggest difference in and just his ability to kind of tell himself that he can communicate with us, I think is the biggest thing because I know he can say all these words and he can do all these things because I've heard him do it when he's repeating them or singing songs. But it's almost more just getting him, I don't know if confidence would be the right word. It's more just getting him to, you know, know that he can, he can do that when he needs to. And I, I've never tried to make him feel like he has to say anything or that he has to talk to communicate. But I know that there's frustrations there with him because he can't. But I think that the growth we've seen in him actually being able to communicate, whether he is outright telling me, oh, I want a sandwich, or he's using a song and singing a certain part of a song And I'm picking up on like, oh, you just told me you want to go outside or something. But he used that song. That has been the biggest growth to me and has just been really amazing to see. I'm going to tell you right now, he has an amazing brain. Yeah. Okay. Because to know, to translate, this is the thing. They don't know how to transfer things from arena to arena. Mm -hmm. Okay. So even though he has vocabulary, Mm -hmm. his vocabulary in his brain may not be to communicate like right. this. Exactly. So even though he can communicate and even though you might be standing there watching and he may be talking away or whatever, mm-hmm. that might be to himself or whatever, but he doesn't know that that's what she used to somebody else. Right. 
they don't transfer. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that he knows that through music, there's a message in that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're going to tell a funny story because we were over, because uh, uh, Brenda's mom was celebrating her, I can say it, 50th birthday. <laughs> we got that right, Rita. She's going to love that. <laughs> um, but it was really cool because uh, Christy and I needed to use the restroom. So we go downstairs. To uh, They say, yeah, go downstairs. So we go downstairs and we had just finished and there's a knock at the door. Oh, no. And the knob turning. And I says, well, I better open it. Because I figured it was him because he was sitting downstairs. So I opened the door. And he was like, okay, you're done. <laughs> I said, okay, we're done. So we walk out and he was down playing. So I, I sat and chatted with your son for a few minutes. And uh-huh. it, was, it was really pleasant because once again, I have such a passion mm-hmm. for that. And he was communicating. Yeah. Not verbally, mm-hmm. but he wanted me to take the thing off and put it back on. It was, it was sticky. Yeah. yeah. They like sticky. They love mm-hmm. Velcro. Yeah. And so he would take it and give it back to me and stuff like that, which was really great. Right. You know, that is communication. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that we want people to know is that even if you have those children who are not neurotypical, mm-hmm. there's so much hope and promise oh, for them. Oh, so much. They have the ability to learn in leaps and bounds, too. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Just nurturing it. And, you know, we're so grateful that you guys joined us today. And hopefully if other parents hear this... They'll feel that hope, yeah. you know, because sometimes that first initial news is like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, get kicked it, it's in the stomach. Scary. It's scary and it's stressful, but I mean, there it's not. It, things could be so much worse. And, and there's hope. They can grow. You can work with them and help them improve. And doesn't mean they won't have a great future. Absolutely. So once again, thank you both for thank joining you. us. Next week, have we decided what we're doing? I don't think we have. <laughs> So we didn't know if we were going to take a week off or if we're going to do, uh, you know, just kind of get away from the parenting and stuff like that and maybe do an episode on travel. But we'll let you guys know one way or the other. Okay. Anyway, once again, thank you guys for joining us. Okay. So you guys be kind to each other and we will talk either next week or the week after. Bye. Bye.